What's up, everybody? This is Ace of Next Fan Ben. Welcome back to the Pirate CSG podcast. This is the next part of the interview with the amazing game designer Mike Mulvihill. And you can find all the resources and whatnot that we talked about in the description below. And please consider also checking out the eBay affiliate link in the description uh, to help support my content and everything I do to try to keep this game alive. Thanks for listening, and let's get to the episode. Um, so we'll get into a few other specifics here. So the schooner keyword um, has <laughs> masts in the early sets. The masts overlap and block their own lines of fire on like one side of the ship or the other. So that was intentional i'm assuming uh because then you could potentially use the schooner keyword to rotate on the stern for different angles um and maybe the keyword was kind of cheap because of that because you wouldn't always be able to fire all cannons in one broadside yeah that's uh one of those things where i'd have to go back and looking and looking at it and remembering it was not the reason for the mechanic the mechanic came first Yep. Um, in yep. this regard, because that was the whole point of schooners were that when you, you know, I, I am not a ship guy. Okay. I don't own a ship. I've not been on one for any real length of time to understand it. I've been to some historical ships, but I have not, I'm not a sea guy. Mm -hmm. All right. So I do all my research the way anybody else would. I go and, and start finding information out. And one of, when we were talking about adding schooners to the game, one of the things that was about a schooner is how incredibly mobile it is. Well, we have a game that's very linear and very, it has to be linear. You can't, you can't like have it go in a circle, for instance. And yet that's like one of the big things, one of the big powers of an actual schooner is how quick they can turn and how they are maneuverable. Well, we only have two axes of maneuverability. And so the second axis of, of, you know, being able to change your facing based on and we can't just have you change your facing by picking it up and moving it around so we had to create a change your facing mechanic based on the model the physicalness of the game itself and that in this case it was you get to uh pivot on your on your on your uh on your uh hull stern. uh on the stern thank you jesus uh be able to pivot on your stern to any direction that you want to go so that happened first i believe if i remember correctly um that the uh overlap was a i don't want to say an error but maybe just something we didn't count on interesting when we, when we made it i'm going to yeah. state that as a as a Mike's trying to remember because that's pretty obviously a thing now yeah. we're stuck at this point with a got a ship that can't shoot through its own mass which is a core mechanic with masts that overlap so uh in the long run, it worked out, and I think later on, is it is in later pieces they don't overlap, or is it only in that first set, or do they all overlap? Yeah, correct. They fixed it with uh, Rise of the Fiends, one of the later sets. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. I, I just think that, and then here's the other problem, as I said before, it costs a lot of money to get a new mold, a new a new print thing, so we got to use it until it's done. I mean, we were whiz kids. We were not, you know elon musk so yeah. we couldn't just throw out an entire mold after the first shipment but i'm going to state that i'm pretty sure we made a little bit of an error there and just forced to live with it the mechanic and the error had nothing to do with each other the error happened way later because when we when we finally got it we probably again in the white piece you're not even thinking about it because they don't have dice on it they don't look like masks they're just a white you know thing sliding in yeah that makes so sense. uh yeah, that was the case. And I knew, I remember us making that piece, and that's the reason why 
the masks are offset a little bit is because um, we couldn't structurally integrity wise put them all in a line because now that line is very, very weak. Okay. So we had to offset them, you know, a little bit so that they would be offset so that that plastic centerpiece would not just collapse after you put the first one in or, you know, on second gameplay because it's so weak. So we had to offset those slots. And I just think that when we did, we did not check to make sure that they were not overlapping each other at that point. And we didn't. Or what we ended up doing was not paying attention to the bottom but looking at the top, I, I don't, re- I don't recall. I do recall that it, I look at it every once in a while now and I go, God, the hell are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, uh, but you know, that's just the nature of life in the, you know, that's a life learned lesson learned. So, yeah, no, I think it works fine too, because for a couple of reasons, I've, I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've played anyone that insists on, Schooners blocking their own lines of fire for those old ones. Most everyone, including me, always house rules it to the later designs where they you kind of just pretend there's no slight overlap and they can just shoot. Yeah, I, I mean, one hundred percent. I don't think uh, I don't think I would again come to your house and say you're playing it wrong. I think <laughs> that that's the 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 feeling of the game feels like they should be. Um, that's a that's an ability that, that that you should be able to fire from them. I mean, because in reality, you know that it just doesn't it doesn't make sense that that tiny little overlap negates everything. Yeah. That was really set for firing from your third mast straight through the front two to get to a ship on the other side of you. That's where that came from. Yeah, and I think even the earlier schooners maybe even look a tiny bit better. The overlap kind of creates kind of a cool aesthetic. Actually, um, it's pretty fun. So that question and the next one are from uh, my friend Luke Menzi. Uh, and uh, this next one, I don't know if you saw the video up where with a schooner, you can basically move like 180 with the le- the second to last move segment and then use the schooner keyword to stern turn and basically get more than that final move segment or second to last move segment, I should say, because the schooner, the stern turn is technically a move segment. But that final, usually it's an S because most ships carry a helmsman. Um, but then you can get, I would say, an extra like centimeter, an extra inch out of that that stern turn by kind of flipping the ship just a tiny bit on the bow and then flipping around, almost doing another 180 to end up going farther than you would be if you didn't use the, the stern turn. So I guess I'm just wondering, and he's wondering about whether or not that was something that you and Ethan kind of saw in playtesting your design or if it was intentional or if that's kind of a newer thing that players discovered. I don't know if that was talked about on the old WizKids forums back in the day, but I know so, we, we uh, talked about it in a few years Yeah, ago. Ethan wouldn't have had anything to do with the mechanics of anything. He yeah. makes the physical component, not the rules. I think um, I saw that video that you sent me. There's nothing in that video that I did not intend uh like the whole point of the schooners like i said was super tight maneuverability and that was one of the things i think if you read up on schooners is like they can get out of dock spaces really easy Mm -hmm. that was what their big that was their big um i don't know what you want to call a claim to seafaring fame was how quickly they can spin and turn so I, i i don't know that my question which i didn't see there but you just said is I don't think he you get to do the I thought you only got to do the 
Western turn at the end of movement. Absolutely. Not like in between two movement pipes. No, that's exactly what he's doing. So like you basically move the final segment, but instead of going forward, you essentially go almost backwards 180. And then the schooner stern turn is the final segment and you use that to flip around. And then due to the length of the ship's hull, especially on the four-masted schooners, because they're longer than the smaller ones, due to the length of the hull, you can actually get a move, more movement out of it, like more distance. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that, was fully, that was fully known, and it, we did not see it as anything um, in the big picture that was going to break that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. no, no, I, I, thought, I thought somewhere in there, either what you said, it was like, oh, you get to do something, do the stern turn, and then keep moving, and I don't believe that that's yeah. the case. Yeah, no, stern turn is still at the end, so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know that you can have eked out a little bit extra movement on that, and, and in, in you know, I, I actually felt that the, the times that it seemed to, where it seems to be the most beneficial to you as a player is the uh, undocking maneuver, when mm-hmm. I liked him doing that, just moving a little bit and then flipping on your turn, so you're already fully turned around um, and maybe gained a, like you said, a, a fraction. I don't think you can move a full inch, but I think you get a fraction of something. That was no problem because that's a in a lot of normal games, that's almost a lost turn. So that's a little benefit to, to, to investing in a schooner. But I actually liked it better when he did the thing where he moved and then stern turned so that he can have a better shot on an enemy. And that was the real point of it, okay. was to be able yeah. to maneuver in traffic. And right. I like that. So that, that yeah, I, Nothing wasn't nothing wasn't known. <laughs> it's yeah. just you know it's interesting to watch people adapt it over time. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, love it. Okay, so now we'll get into some questions about the sets and uh, some specifics on them. When did the change in direction from like quasi historical to full on fantasy come from? And was it part was it partly based on customer research or other existing games, or was it mostly just Pirates of the Caribbean and the movie influence? Well, you've kind of heard, I think I've kind of maybe fully answered that or answered that in parts over time. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, if anybody knows any, again, knows, knows Jordan, Jordan works, loves to work in um, what is now known as the genre is now called historical fiction. So taking real people and putting them in a, um, and changing history to do, you know, not altering history in the big picture of things, but but putting them in and rewriting, you know, uh, or putting people into historical events and then rewriting the periods around that, I guess. I, I'm not exactly, I don't think I explained that right to anybody. And people are like, what are you talking about? But the idea of like using Captain Morgan and the, in, a, in, a, in this game, and then he's got a, his agenda and he does his stuff and then adding fictional characters within that real setting. Um, so it always had kind of a fictional but historical setting because, again, like I said, Jordan liked these real people interacting with people he made up. And he's done it on, for anybody who knows his virtual world thing, he did it there. For anybody who knows his um, his uh, stuff with uh, that he did with Nikola Tesla and and, uh, and uh, various other people, he, he just loves that. He loves that ability to take history, put characters in and have characters from history do any, any other stuff. 
Um, so there's that is number one. Number two is, uh, so that was always there. So it was never true to history. It was only within a history that we kind of understood a little bit. Then, um, and then, like I said, once we hit revolution and we didn't want to go too further away, I started looking at other places of piracy during that time. So you have the, the Barbary Coast and the um, Gold Coast and the Mediterranean piracy that was going on. And then, of course, uh, you know, finding, you know, then you continue that to search for the um, massive pirate stuff coming out of China and um, and Japan um, at the, well, mostly China, not less Japan, out of, uh, out of that area and realizing there's a whole historical piece that we can do. Um, with those characters and at that time and then just loop them into the kind of the greater theme that we we're doing pirates of the caribbean did change everything so i'm not i'm not understating it it just became what pirates of the caribbean allowed and allowed for us to do is to put in the whole mystical nature before that if you look at our set it's very rooted in reality even if it's we're moving around the world um uh, but now we, now that that kind of exposed this kind of like, you know, mystical gods and goddesses and, and, um, and magical talismans from the sea. Now, all of a sudden that kind of opened it up for us to be able to go in that direction as well. So really, yeah, if you looked at it like post pirates of the Caribbean, you can see that, you know, next set is Jules Verne again, histor historical, but not real. So, you know, and then you look at the next set was the, the Vikings. And that was mainly because I, I thought the Viking ships looked so cool and, <laughs> and wanted to do something with them. And then as that as that starts to go and we realize, wait, we're, we've created a world here. What else can we populate it with? Uh, you know, that mystical nature of stuff and talismans and stuff. I mean, it comes out of comic books. It comes out of of. Uh, comes out of uh, Pulp Fiction type stories, not the movie, but like just the kind of fictional uh, talisman, artifact, realms, gods and goddesses, that whole mystical thing that was very huge during that period, that, that time as well. So nothing was like this big, like, turn the car around, we're out of control. It was much more of like, this is the direction by adding these things, no one questions even what went before it. They don't go, wait a second, you were a historically accurate game. Now you're totally wrong because we had the fiction elements already in it. So it was almost a logical conclusion that we would end up having to move that way uh, to keep the line going. And that's at the point where I think I said that the company was thinking, like, how do we, we got bought, WizKids got bought uh, by, um, well, Tops who owned WizKids, got bought by Michael Eisner, who used to run Disney. And so everything we started to create at that point, he wanted to try to create an IP Bible for. And so when we started to do that, we're like, well, we're going to have to double down on this kind of fantasy world, create our own fantasy, kind of our own storylines that are not Pirates of the Caribbean. But that already happened, and it already exists, and other people are exploring that you know, with everything from superheroes to, uh, um, you know, pirates to private investigators, the kind of X-Files thing. All those things were, like, laid out for us. Young Indiana Jones, I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It had the same kind of element of historical people in a, you know, 
a fictional character, Indiana Jones, in these historical time periods dealing with historical people and telling stories that, you know, were parallel to real stories but had Indiana Jones stuck in them somehow. All of those things started just to morph into kind of like, a, you know, this is all a palette to play with. And so when we started to go, okay, now that we've done basically all the history and we've gone through the, the you know, age of sail to 1500s, we created this world of pirates on uh, now including the, 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 the North seas. And um, we have this history characters with backstory um, characters uh, who, you know, uh, factions and, and characters who've come back two and three times, you know, uh, we have the, was it, was there a Spanish captain that basically like flogs his, sailors to death all the time until he uh you know and he's always back you know <laughs> in our in our set you know he always comes back with a new crew and mm -hmm. people fear and he's got this thing and you know maybe he's one step short of being cursed i don't remember if we got that far with him but you mm -hmm. you have this this we've been we've been doing this we just didn't know it and now we were given the opportunity to double down and add all those things and it just seemed a log logical next step. So it was never a, oh, we're making a historical game. Oh, we made a right turn, and now we have, you know, the cursed undead. It was more of a slow uh, pattern where as other people were knocking down those walls and combining those themes, we were like, yeah, so are we. Hey, yeah, we're doing that too. And like I said, I, got, I have to pitch a new set every year, you know, based on the timeline that we were talking about. So I have to come up with, like, how do we change this? And this is where I started to go back to, like, crazy da vinci ships that he was drawing and and weird greek uh ideas for warships that didn't exist and I'm like well what if they did you know all of a sudden now <laughs> you know all of a sudden we're pulling stuff from everywhere that just to make to make a to make it cohesive uh thing and as long as we felt we had a through line we could explain to you that through line you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't like we were just like, oh, this set has nothing to do with anything. We're like, no, this set grows off the next set because once they discovered this, now they had unlocked this, you know? Mm -hmm. so it's, uh, uh, that's it, you know? That's how yeah. that all evolves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it helps answer a question uh, people had on the miniature trading forums back, on the, back in the day. I think either Tiffany or I think it was Kelly Bonella came out with uh, some statement way back probably 2008 or whatever talking about how there would be not too many historical characters in the game and i think that ip based uh focus was definitely part of the reason why so that's good to hear about um in terms of like expanding the the whiz kids specific ip lore and things like that so awesome yeah it's a, it's a it was a weird time because we were like I, I mean i remember sydney i mean i was in a meeting with michael eisner i can say that to people dun, 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 um in which he wanted to hear about the game and we were telling him you know here's where it started here's where we're at here's what we here's our basically our fulcrum, fulcrum point was doing the pirates of the caribbean yep. thing and then and then it was like you know now we're here and we have the you know we can do anything and he's like at that point pirates were hot but there were only you know, you know, there was only, you know, the movie companies and maybe a few TV companies that were going to go hardcore into it. I think Lost was happening at that time. And so there's that, that, again, that weird mystical, where are we, what's going on kind of feel, you know, and islands and, and you know, possible piracy in the modern setting. And we were like, you know, 
he wanted to keep it in that kind of in that kind of mystical fake history lesson but he wanted us to make our own characters and because that would sell a pirate themed thing if we had our own characters so that's why there's a shift after uh what was it ocean's edge i think where we shift to like redoing some of the older characters like i said bringing them in under different faction names creating the cursed faction all that kind of stuff was to create our own factions i mean you can't get rid of pirates but you can make it and you can't probably get rid of like the british the spanish etc uh, if you're doing a pirate themed anything but we could create our own factions that did certain things and maybe create a different you know colonization thing like like i think at one point i really wanted to kind of change the english from basically being like all hms type stuff to more of a like east indian trading company kind of thing you know so they're like a monolithic corporation if you will that's a bad guy or a good guy depending on your point of view the problem is that the problem is my brother points this out to me all the time. Pirates are really, you know, kind of bad guys. You know? yeah. And the and the good guys should have been like the English and the French, but they were also bad guys. Yeah. So, you know, and so now you're going to create like a, a playable character that's a really bad guy. So who's going to play that? And you're like, all right, fair enough. I mean, at least you, with the other ones, you had the historical knowledge of like, hey, the British were, you know, you can put in, you know, various historical, you know, whatever we want to call them, inaccuracies or or assumptions like the British were protecting British rights and the Spanish were only protecting their cities, even though they're colonizers and were taking everything they could from everybody, but on both sides and the Americans were like just shooting everybody. You know, you can make the way history plays out in that kind of like you know pirates are all these romanticized they're romanticized they were like criminals most of them are really bad guys they would do all kinds of stuff they stole ships and killed citizens you know killed you know it's like you know it's like okay none of these guys are good (laughs) but we have to make them all playable and interesting so maybe we can figure out a way to do it but you know like i said we never truly got to the point of ip because even when we were done like even when we were at a point where we uh felt we could have an ip it one total lack of interest from above us and two uh the the game was starting to to not sell and the interest in it again not because the game was bad or they weren't doing good things i'm not saying about that about anybody who was after us but WizKid was going through all kinds of stuff uh People were leaving, people were moving, they moved the company, just became less of a thing to pay attention to um, by the bigwigs when, you know, Heroclix is still, you know, rolling in Brinks trucks amounts of money. Now, all of a sudden, a game where you got to get it into, into mass market more so than in got game stores and you have to maintain this kind of... Uh, quick play feel and and you want to maintain now you want to add an ip to it it just i think it became too unwieldy to maintain a direction without total company support and i can't say that towards the end uh pirates had total company support yeah that's fair that makes sense um and my friend zarex bill from la he actually had a couple extra questions today that he submitted um so what determined curse you so. <laughs> what determined how many game pieces a set received? Was there a limit on how much could go into one set? And then if so, who imposed that limit or how was that limit determined? Well, 
I like the fact that people make this crazy assumption, like somebody imposed a limit on you, the creator. Um, it had to do again with uh, a print run and a press run and what can get done. So basically, I think what was it? Um, uh, ship wise, I think we did what about. 60 to 70 a set, maybe? Yeah, 60 to 70, depending on the set. Again, that had to do with our sheets. This was not card sheet like um, like you can do like a card game. That's Everybody used to say it needed to be, what is it, 6, 64, 66, 72 maybe cards. And that's why when you got a deck of regular playing cards at the store, you would always have a Joker in it. There would be like a promo card there would be a couple of other like how to play pinochle cards you know that kind of stuff yeah. because that was a singular press sheet no one can change it that's what a press sheet was so yep. when initial card games came out they all used that standard press sheet modern technology doesn't have that the weird thing about this was we had to have uh we had to create a matrix if you will that that fitted the 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 die cuts which were six if i remember correctly every die cut was a six and that way you can do a three ship card and this is why everything is in these models by the way so a die cut if you think about it is six by six by two or no excuse me three by two so six total slots Mm-hmm. So it would be three across the top for the three for the three uh, master, and then um, and then you would do uh, uh, like you could get uh, you always had to have a treasure card in it and a crew card, so that's two cards. Yep. Which is why if you got a three master in a pack, you always got a one. Yeah. Master. Or a single one card, card. One card ship. Yeah. Yep. One card. One card ship. Yep. And so at, that was it. So every pack had to every mold had six cards and it was always that setup so a two and a two and then then something extra maybe uh in that in that one would have been a two and a two and uh uh no no two two and two yeah so that would those were those are the makeups so every mold was that and so what we then had to do was say all right well the five and the one they're they're going to almost always be uh you know um together together so when i was making it that's why they're always rare because then we can do that mold less than all the other molds then the next mold the two Uh, two would be we had to make all the cards in that one so like the two masters and the three masters anything that used two card ships they would be in these other molds and those would go those would be used the most if we added up if we made a new ship new ship type and new thing we would end up removing one of those two and twos old school two and twos uh a two mass three mass with the new ship if we wanted them to be common or rare or whatever it was so the all molds fit that model everything fit that model then we took x number of them and placed them and then because it's not paper it's plastic it's now extruded versus just on a roll you know, it's yep. not a, there's no roll of plastic. They have to make that, that styrene. I yep. mean, maybe yep. it is a roll now that I say that a lot. And then they would do the stamp. So it ended up being this kind of thing of one and a physical requirement uh, based on uh, the molds that we're using or the die cuts, the dies, I should say, not molds. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have to figure out our rarity and our sort. 
So from there, there was, there is, and exists someplace again, probably with that original spreadsheet, a a, uh, a basically a hand constructed template that says, you know, and and the thing about it was every one of those was a pack, so you would kadunk, you know that one hmm. mold with those chips on it. So let's say it's the, uh, you know, um, this, the standard chips. So uh, what is it in, uh, in, uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean? I think it's like, uh, the Flying Dutchman and the Dauntless. And, uh, I don't remember if those are four masters or whatever. Yeah, those are but the five, five bottom masters. line is you would, you would do that. You would, you know, you would do the, you know, uh, they, they would do that piece of art. The art was on the styrene. Then the mold would, cut it. it's not the other way around yeah. and so the art is there the sheet is there and then the, we would lay the sheet out the the art out on those sheets so we would say okay this is the sheet that does five and ones for instance five five or three three card three card chip one card chip and then it would have like the uh, uh a cool crew member and uh and the a special treasure all right, so we make that, we make that one up, and then that would get printed, and we would tell them, I'm going to make numbers up here, so only do that 10 times. Then the next one would be like a two and a two, and we'd say make that 20 times. So that was your, that's where you get your ratios, okay? But we had to create that all on our own. So we had a whole layout thing where we would lay out in, 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 C, in Seattle um, all the sheets, and then we would put those sheets together and then that's what would go to China and then they would do a sheet. Then we would get photos of a sheet to, so that we can confirm that they didn't swap things every once in a while just because of humans. Like one ship would be upside down. So if it got printed, if it got stamped with the mold, the ship would have actually been all totally wrong. You know, yeah. and we'd have to crack that and check it. And then, like I said, we would do that. And then when it was all done, we would get that. So, the the everything had to match that math so once we figured that out in the very first sets um and figured out what molds we can remove out so like hey we we don't need as many two two by two we want one of these one of these um uncommon slash common molds to be forts or to be uh, schooners or to be junks then we would pull out a two by two of a regular ship and slide that, you know, and, and slide that mold in with this new one. And then we would lay the sheets out so that that was all the case. So that's how that happened. So it was less about going, oh, we can only make X number of ships. I mean, it kind of technically was, we can only make that many ships, but it was more of a, we can only make those many ships um, uh, in that, you know, in in make the math work for rarity. You know, that's the that's the magic sauce of all this stuff. Is we ought to also had to create our own rarity system. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was me because we had never done it before. So I yeah. created the rarity that's, system. Wow. Well, I created it with Hero Clicks as well. Again, we had never done it before. I mean, we did it for Mage Knight, but it was not a very good one. It was a very weird one and so we created for me and then seth came in after me and he created like the genius system of all time for hero Quest. and then we used that moving forward but uh yeah we just basically had to create a rarity system and then how we pack those rarity systems and then like at the at the end then you have to go okay in box a there's always one of those rare boxes or x i'll say one right now because i don't remember 
let's say there's yeah. three. You know, yeah. There's two of these other ones, and the, but it can't be the same three. You have to take three different rarity packs. So then, you know, you have to literally do it. Now, the the this the, they they've they've uh, their ability to do all of these things. Uh, uh, the uh, a person has used that. Yeah, that's it. The picture that you just posted to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that's a mold so yeah. the mold of uh like uh i can't tell i don't see a rare all the rare molds uh with the sea monsters on it yeah and a lot, yeah, yeah exactly that's a that's a unique rare mold because it's two two cards rather than a three and a one yeah so yeah, yeah that's a, that's that's literally a mold so that is that is being done yeah that's exactly another mold yeah yep. that's a, exactly a mold it is it is literally um uh three by uh two by three so um, you know, uh this one's got uh is two molds. Yeah. Or it's a half a mold. There's a half yeah. a mold on this one. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's exactly that process. Then we would randomize it so one ship one and ship two weren't on the same card. It would be ship one and maybe like ship nine, and then and then the same gold. So you would always, if you got this pack, you would always get these three, I think. All right. Now here's where it gets weird because stuff is different. It may have been that they not it couldn't have been i don't think we could have literally because then they cut these obviously they cut the cards but i don't yeah. think they cut i think they cut and slid them into a pack so if you got this pack it was always the same pack of three huh um but i may be wrong on that we I, may have we may have insisted one one further and that they separated things out so it was not always the same pack I think, so, yeah, I think there was more randomness than that in the collation. Yeah, so if that was the case, then what would what would have happened is uh, we would have, oh, you're right, that is the case, actually. But what it meant was that when they were printing, let's say, this blue sheet on the left, which was all rares, they knew that the, the, the so you get the mold, which is those three, and they're just repeating it over and over again, yeah. right? They would know that every counting from the, uh, the they would know that's weird. How? Why did they separate them like that? This is oh, it's a really early one. That's probably why. Yes. Um, most likely the one would have been on the sheet with the character and the and the treasure and the three because then they would have been able to take the three and slide them in together and then these would have all been dropped separately into a one ship, a, a treasure and a character. Interesting. Slide. Yeah. Yeah, this is fascinating. Um, I mean, it's, really... it's it was, dude. It was it. It <laughs> is like it is like space age engineering to get any of this to work. This is really weird. I think we changed that later on. In fact, I think if you go back up to the to the uh, oh no no because we never changed the molds, so they would have always stayed the same. Hmm. Interesting. Except so they would have known yeah, somehow is... at the factory they would have they would have uh, uh, cut this. Um, and then and then figured that the the one ship and the three ship are in the wrong piece. Yeah, I, I feel and, like they and, had and to. Have, I feel like they had to have done the collation, the randomizing at the factory. Um, yeah, because you can get like different sea monster with a different other two card ship or whatever. And then there's yeah. even some packs. Where yeah, you have, yeah, like, you're, you're right. This is this is printing. I'm I'm wrong on that front. Yeah, collation would have happened separately. I thought that they just. They collated separately, but yeah, that's how production worked. And then at that point, then it's math. Like we have to make sure we have the right number of exactly. cards 
We can't do like a hundred and let's say, I don't know, 161 because then it's like we have one left over because 160 <laughs> is the perfect math. So yeah. we couldn't do that. So we had a, we had to make sure our math met our production, exactly. you know, how many we're going to get of each one and all that kind of stuff. Do you yeah. have these sheets? Are these sheets or are you, did you get these somewhere? No, I wish, I wish they were mine. Um, a couple of these are from, uh, well, Matt L, he's one of the like super collectors of the community. He actually has more stuff than I do. He's got a ton of stuff. And uh, the one, the last one I sent you with Revolution and Barbary Coast, um, I don't have a record of who that's from. But yeah, there's a there's a very small handful of collectors in the community that have these uncut sheets. And I just, I, I try to, whenever I find pictures of like really rare stuff like this, uh, I try to like download and save the pictures right away. Yeah, um, no, that's cool. But yeah, yeah. that's... That's a mold. So the the two by three is a. I keep saying mold. That's a die, die cut. Yeah. And then they would then they would take these out and then they would know that the in this in this die cut it's the single ships and a three card ship and then uh, the, 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 the 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 unique things and then they would they you were correct they would then do the sorting after that. Yeah, I just it's so what so would end up happening is the three the three ship and a one ship would go into a you know into in one pack. Yep into a into a single pack but it doesn't necessarily mean it was whatever was in the same die cut yeah you are yeah i'm um, sorry that i misspoke earlier no it's a, no it's totally fine i mean this is just like such a fascinating rabbit hole to go down um partly because i guess my next question would be the rarities i assume the five masters were kind of like the start of the rares or like from the first set they would be rare and then because of how the cards worked, like six styrene cards in a pack that's kind of maybe why the one masters ended up as rares, like as a follow on from the five masters. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 there's yes. So necessity uh, is, is a driver and and what you can do with it. Like I said, all the tools are on the table. You just have to figure out how to make them work. So yes, there's number one, number one playable out of a pack meant two ships. So if you had a three card ship, then you had to have a one card ship. Okay. The other thing too was is that one of the interesting things we found in the very very early stages of playtesting was if you had a ship versus a crew at approximately the same point value, people always took the ship. And so, yep. so what ended up happening was we were discovering that people will take lots of the tiny ships or more tiny ships than we thought. We thought that they were always going to be the you know the the whatever of the thing. If you had a player let's say at your skill level or, or even mine back in the day, we would almost always go, no, I think a crew's more important in this spot, mm-hmm. you know? And yet players would, newer players or other people would go, oh, I want another ship. I want this cool one, this whatever, you know, tiny, tiny ship. It's so cute. I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, oh, okay. Uh, having them be rare is actually kind of a cool thing that you know everybody's gonna ooh and ah over the big ass ship don't get me wrong i'm totally you know on that front but from a gameplay standpoint also making the one mass ship rare gives it kind of a little cachet of like whoa i can get a ship in for you know four points you know or you know you know whatever and that's kind of a cool thing from an army building standpoint which was serendipitous. I mean, we didn't plan on it. We had to plan on it being rare because it, we needed, you know, two ships in a pack. So, yeah, yeah. As I said, one of number one mandate, number one mandate, playable out of a pack. So, yep. 
Yeah, this is even just getting back to Xerox's original question too. It's really fascinating to me to think about how this is almost like a almost like a choreographed dance that has to happen between you as the designer and then basically estimating sales numbers and going off previous sets and thinking, what if we sell, I mean, I'm just making up numbers, but like, what if we sell 250,000 packs of revolution, that's going to be 500,000 ships. And like how many, how much variety do we really want uh, in a set so that we would have, if you had, you know, 200 ships in the set, then people would have so much variety that they would never like see the same thing twice, or it might be harder to strategize. But then maybe there's like a sweet spot where if you have 36 packs in a box and that's 72 ships, maybe you'll get a few duplicates, but then you'll at least be able to recognize like, oh, that's Enterprise or oh, oh, I got the the Soleil Royale as well, just like my friend. Right. Like you hear about it from someone else. So then you kind of, you would have to work with, theoretically at least, you have to work with like the sales team and marketing and like base it off prior numbers and go to like the manufacturer and be like okay we have 60 ships so each one we might have a hundred thousand of each ship or something or well yeah that, that that is that's very funny because what you just described is a uh i'm gonna state this because i'm a not to become a cranky old man but i'm gonna state it as the reality of the 20th century <laughs> or the leader <laughs> the 21st century whatever it is that's a very 2023 thing you just said because it's not how we thought about it in 2006 okay. or whatever yeah. and that's because we never the while we know that there was a secondary market there was you know there were entire magazines that the back half of it was like every magic card printed and its value and it whether the value went up or went down and all that kind of stuff but the secondary market that we know that came out much higher and much more aggressive, let's say post eBay, definitely post eBay, but even now, uh, post grading and all that kind of stuff, that's a very different market than when this game and Magic and, yeah. and, and a bunch of card games were launched in. Definitely. The, 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 the mindset that we had when we created this, this includes Heroclix at the time, this includes Mage Knight, Battletech, Pirates, NASCAR, it didn't matter was what do I need to buy to complete, not a set, not a complete set of one of every card, okay, but one of every slot of card, okay? So now we get rid of the commons because you're going to have a million of those. We get rid of the uncommons because you're going to have a million of those. So we start talking about the rares or the LEs, whatever that comes up to be. So our take was in a booster pack of X packs, 48 packs, let's just say, how many rares do i get in that pack and let's say be super generous mike and say let's say you get 10 our takeaway was you got 10 rares now let's say worst case scenario you got 10 of the exact same rares okay <laughs> the bottom line was what you did was you found somebody else who also has duplicate rares because yeah. they just got 10 of them and the odds of them getting 10 unique rares is pretty astronomical it's it's a possibility but it may not be and what was the number one thing in all of our thinking back then was i traded my rare x for your rare y nice so i had i got 10 rares i may not want or need or ha you know whatever those 10 rares but i have i'm gonna keep nine of them or i'm gonna keep one of them and i'm going to trade the other nine to get the rares i'm missing that concept and in, in, in it 
you know, it may have been at your local gaming store. The guy had the rares and maybe there was an uptick in price. But a lot of times it was a back then it was a straight up trade. I have a rare, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, I have a rare, uh, uh, you know, flying Dutchman and you have a rare, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know. Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> Constitution or something like that or uh, Black Pearl or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll make the swap. Maybe you don't trade a three master or a five master for a one master. Maybe you have to make that swap one to one. Maybe you never trade the treasure or you only trade treasure for treasure. I don't know. You know, character for character. It, it really didn't matter. But it was a trade mindset, not a secondary mindset, uh, uh, almost stock market that it is today. So we didn't look at it and say, well, we'll have 20,000 ships in the marketplace because the marketplace was really what Ben wants and has. We had no say. You could have bought one pack or you could have bought, you could have gone in the store and bought five packs and then figured out to make an army. Maybe you bought a couple more so that you have a pirate army and a, and a uh, uh, American army and our Navy, you know, and you were, uh, and you were done, you know, and you can have the other guy who's also more like you probably, or somebody else who says, I need to have the whole set. I'm going to buy a booster pack. What are my odds of getting certain things? And then what can I trade? It was not a, where can I go buy stuff that it is now? That's just the evolution of the marketplace and the thinking and more players in it. And some players going, I don't even want to play. I just want to buy or, you know, whatever, you know, and then value. And then I'll, over time saying, oh, my God, the Black Pearl is the greatest ship in the game. I want it. I'll be willing to pay you, trade and pay you, or trade you five cards. It was the old baseball card thing. Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. You know, you very rarely heard anybody going, you heard the old one guy bought the mantle from that one guy for a million dollars. And you're like, who the hell does that? You know, mainly it was you and your buddies going, I'll trade you this guy. I got two of these guys from this team that I don't like, and I'll trade you two, you know, one of those guys from the team I love. That was really the mindset. I'm going to tell you, and honest, people are not going to believe it because it's true, but it was basically the mindset going all the way up until uh, like basically eBay and and in the secondary markets and stuff and so we didn't look at it as total number of cards in the market total number of ships the more ships the better the way we felt because that meant more players yeah you know we didn't think one guy had a thousand ships you know Mm -hmm. that was not how we thought about it we thought about it like hey the more packs we put out the more potential players we have to play the packs that are out and that was the mindset so our again when we came up with a rarity at model, our rarity model was to make sure when you bought a box of cards, and then, like for instance, when we used to do it for uh, Hero Clicks, you know, it became a case. Then it became how many cases do you need to buy to get uh, enough to trade the LEs? You know, it's like okay, well, there's one LE per case, so we have eight in the game. You need to buy eight cases. Well, what does that net you? Well, now you're not running into people who were willing to trade anymore because everybody else is buying eight cases or four cases, you know? And so, you know what I mean? And it's like, all of a sudden they're like, I got to get rid of these. And then all of a sudden a new market is born. That's awesome. That's growth of the industry and growth of the games. And, you know, we're, we're not sitting here talking about pirates or, you know, on my day job, Lorcana, uh, if we're not talking about that model anymore. But back when we created it, that was so not what we were way we were thinking. We were thinking, how do we make sure that we tell you how many LEs do or how many uh, rares do we have in the game? How hard is it to collect them? 
and then let's now do a matrix that says I can trade a rare for a rare because I'm going to get X in a, in a box. So that's right. how. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really fascinating. Um, and I thought of another like kind of interesting theoretical about limiting set size to make it essentially more collectible. Because if you had 300 pieces in a set, you might have to buy four or five booster boxes or more to complete the set. Um, which theoretically you could make more money, but also like you might get burnt out collectors that are like, oh, I'm still missing 40 pieces because they just printed too much. Um, so with a set size in like the 100 to 150 range, maybe, I don't know if there was anyone at WizKids like kind of doing that kind of market research or if it was more like doing market research to see like what would satisfy collectors or what sold from Spanish main and then kind of keeping it like a similar set size throughout the sets or if it was more... Um, Kind of like the way it turned out where like a faction in a set would have eight or maybe 10 ships per set. And then it would just kind of stay that way because it's just kind of a nice number. It's just kind of a cool, you know, you get a dozen ships for the English and in, in Ocean's Edge or whatever. And then it just kind of, it's kind of a nice number rather than having like 30 to choose from or, or only three or whatever. So yeah, um, there, there's, there, there, there is a, uh, you know, customer burnout is a key as well. The the again, there's things people don't think about because they're not them. So like the collector does not think about burnout of the customer because yeah. they're in. They're already in. You know, they're hardcore. Yeah. But if you if you are are trying to get new players in, and that was one of the cooler things WizKids always did is we constantly pushed for new players. We didn't try to gatekeep at all. And so what ended up happening is that there's a lot of, um, you know, research that says, so dependent on how much, um, uh, like how much interest you can maintain through a set, you know? Yep. And so it's like, yeah, we could have done, more sets with less chips in it, but what are we doing with a consumer? You know, does the consumer not care? If we do it on this certain cadence, if they know they're going to get two sets every year, then they're going to look for that, and it's going to be a cadence that they're going to understand. And they know that they, if they can, within that six-month period of between set one and set two or set X and set Y, they can collect everything, then they're excited for set two to come out or set, you know, the next set to come out. If they feel like, one, they couldn't collect it or they collected it, you know, it, it's crazy. Uh, we talk about this stuff as if it's some kind of crazy abstract, but it's the difference between Disney releasing a new TV show, a Star Wars TV show, once a week over 10 weeks, and Netflix putting it all down on day one. They have their benefit. There's people who love it, and there's people who hate it on each yep. side, yep. who go, I don't want to wait around 10 weeks to get to the conclusion of a show. And then there's other people who go, I finished watching you know, uh, that show over the weekend, and now I don't think about it for a year plus. So it's, it's finding that happy balance, you know, that is like, okay, do we string something? Do we guarantee dates, but make it so that you have to collect enough things that's going to keep you playing and interested until that next set comes out? Or do we, you know, do a bunch of sets until you're burned out of not paying attention anymore? So we, we hit the right number based on probably to be perfectly honest, the mechanics, like I said, the mechanics of production and the, and more importantly, the mechanics of, of, uh, of, um, of, uh, the math, excuse me, the mechanics of production and the math of a collectible set, and then came up with that number. Um, yeah. 
and then and then and then from there you know uh and then again the things people don't want to talk about is like okay how do we keep it at whatever the price is that we want to sell it at you know yeah. we could make it, we could have made it so that there are four ships in a pack but now we're selling it for twelve dollars now that's a people think of twelve dollars they don't think of a booster box they think yeah. of a box you know yeah. now you know, so all of a sudden you're like you, there's the the decisions are actually really granular that people don't un- see. Again, a lot of times it's you know, you know, the simplest solution. It's Occam razors. Whatever the system, the simplest solution is, is probably the one that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we probably didn't have enough money to print more. We probably didn't have you know, we couldn't you know, doing the first set. It's probably why, and it's in the long run, why you see a lot of companies do like a set one and an unlimited set because they can't you know, they realize either it took off. Would thank God this did. And 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 be able to spawn more things, but you're not. We weren't working on set two like the day set one was done. So there was if there's that's the reason why you add a set unlimited set in there to reprint everything to give you time to actually do the second set, because you had no idea what was going to happen. There's an old comic book trope. Uh, I used to work in the comic book industry as well, and that is the number two. The biggest collector is not the number one. It's the number two. Because everybody's going to buy in, like the, the the store owners and everybody's going to buy in on a number one. But number two goes up for sale to those, they have to order number two before number one is ever sold. They don't have any copies of number one. And now number two is up, you know, being asked for your orders. And they will always order way less number two than number one because they're trying to get everybody to come in because it's a new brand new number one with a fancy design artist and a new look and feel and blah, blah, blah. Spider-Man number one, it's going to be huge. We're going to do 17 different covers. Everybody's going to stand in line to get it. Spider-Man number two, they have no idea. And so the real collectible value for a comic book is never number one. It's always number two. Because it's printed in way less things. There's never as many people. It's almost always a continuation story. So you need number two to tell the finish the story for number one. It's just very funny. And that's the kind of the thing of why you do a, why you'll see card game companies or collectible companies do an unlimited after their first thing. Because they have like no idea. They have no idea. Yeah. No one has any idea. They put it out. If it sells like crazy, all of a sudden there's an un- unlimited, you know, or a reprint or something like that. That gives them time to work on set two because they didn't. Yeah. They were they were they were working on set two, but not at the same you know heightened anticipation they were working on set one. And now all of a sudden it's just like set one sells out right away. They're like, holy, we got to get on set two time. You know, so that's it's it's the reality of the situation it is all guesswork you can say you know you can try to do it from the top down saying okay what's the maximum number of cards we want out in play but most companies in fact almost everybody says how do we explain to everybody how to collect this thing especially this game which was brand new some you know you need three cards for one thing two cards for another then you're snapping things out people are like i want to snap one out and build it and i want to want to keep one in mint condition still yeah. in the thing Okay, so now that everybody wants two of them, so we have to print double the amount, you know. So it was, you know what I mean? It it became, you know, we didn't limit it, so you could play three of the same ships. So now all of a sudden, there's like there's a ship that somebody really likes, and they want more of one of them, you know. All of a sudden, so you can't look at it from the top down. You have to look at it, and it's like, okay, what's in a box? You know, what's in a pack? As I told you, was the number one thing. But then you have to exploit what's in a what's in a box, what's in a case of boxes. You know, what's in a, you know, and then and then try to make sure all that works across the board, and then print to you know print as many as you can to hopefully meet demand. Yeah, yeah, man, this is just this is the best rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, 
it's funny because I was just reminded about when you said it's all about the what's in one pack. And I gave when you went to dinner with uh, Jason and Seth during that game, somebody from uh, Vancouver, Canada came in and was asking about the game. So I gave him like a free pack and then I uh, just got an email, I think today from him because he found my I gave him like my card or whatever. So he found my site and now he's emailing me about like, getting more stuff. So I'm going to send him like some free ships and stuff like that. So. And it just it just catches on like wildfire. He said he's got like Dude, I, like five it, people he's trying to teach. So there might be like a seven player group starting in Canada now. So yeah, I think you asked me a question or on a list, and that maybe we haven't got to it or whatever. But it was a question about me playing. Like when was the last time I played a game? The weird <laughs> thing about it is that last time I played a full on game, like beginning to end, like we played the other night, was uh, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't remember. Um, actually, that's not true. It may have been last summer at my wife's family reunion because back in the day, much like what you're doing now, I gave packs out to everybody, nieces, nephews, cousins, my in-laws, my, my in-laws' family, Sharon, my wife's family, my siblings, my siblings, uh, my, my family on my side and just gave packs out because again, yeah, I could teach you in a second. I almost, almost always when somebody is at work sees the little pirate ship sitting on my desk because i open up a pack when i first got there to show somebody because people don't understand i mean they just Mm -hmm. you know it's just not in their wheelhouse yeah and so i'll show them the game and they'll be like oh my god you know we'll play you know a few turns till somebody collects a treasure and gets back to their own island so i've played the game a lot i just don't play the game you know it's kind of like you know, when everybody found out I was Shadowrun uh, guy, uh, then all I ever did was Game Master. No one would let me play Shadowrun. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of this. It's like everybody, you know, I show them, I talk about it, I play the game, and they just like, and yeah, that decision by Jordan on day one was genius. It was the greatest decision ever. And um, and it's like so fun. So yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, you do like short like de- game demos rather than yeah. like full scale. We, we just we, we just brought in a new hire and he saw the ship he goes why do you have one of these ships and i'm like oh, cause I, design, I, design, I was a designer developer of the game and he's like are you kidding me he goes we're because he's moving up to seattle from san diego he's like yeah we were cleaning i was cleaning out my stuff and i had uh the uh, the packs or i i had a, a, a bin of empty packs my son opened them all up punched out all the things but he doesn't know how to make the ships so they're just pieces of styrene <laughs> all over my house when i when he flew back down from being up here because his wife was packing things and he was like he's like yeah and i'm like oh my god that would be the that's like the ultimate puzzle to me i would sit there all night until <laughs> i figured out every ship and which one they all work with and yeah. do the whole thing and make sure that i had the card and it yeah. had the name on the ship on it and then make sure that the cannons were right i go that is He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna put them all in a box. I'll bring it to you if they, <laughs> dude. That would be the most awesome thing. Yeah. But yeah, and uh, and Seth that night uh, that we were uh, with you, he's like, oh yeah, he sent me a photo like the next morning. He goes, yeah, guess what I got while we were talking last night. I'm like, what's that? He goes, my nephew. We were just there, uh, and uh, my one, uh, my sister, brother, whatever his nephew's parent is, uh found a box to, to explain what uncle Seth had done and had like some hero clicks figures still in their boosters and it had the ships and he was, that was all he wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uncle Seth, show me how to play the ship game. Show me how to play yes. the ship game. And <laughs> I said, yeah. Love it. Yeah. I don't know if that kid was too young, but it, I mean, at least in each pack had the assembly instructions in it too. I don't know if they didn't see it or maybe. maybe uh, I don't know. He did, that's what he told me. It could be an <laughs> apocryphal story. I have, 
yeah. you could have only opened one or two, but yeah. He said, yeah, they were all over the kitchen table. He didn't put them up. <laughs> nice. I'll send you, um, getting back to that question, I'll send you something you might recognize from way back in 2004 um, when Mike Selinker was on the podcast a few years ago. Um, he talked about Presti is 24 feet long, but he talked about the rarity ratio where he thought, from his memory, for every 16 cards or game pieces, eight would be common, five would be uncommon, and then three would be rare. Um, so that kind of, and I think we, we've done a, like a pack opening project. Uh, I'm not like really that involved in it, but a few folks in the community who are like really interested in the math and the probabilities have run the numbers. And I think they came out like really similar to this, um, where it's about 50%. It common. could be, I, I, so, I don't, I, I will frankly tell you there are, there's a, uh, <laughs> it's going to make me sound stupid uh and it's fine i guess because i am i don't care um yeah. uh, what i mean i care for the math i don't care about the press sheet or how it was done the math may be right 853 I, I don't remember because that's not how we again like i just told you you just had to make um, it fit yeah yeah and, and, and it's weird because unless mike was talking to jordan or found out later hey, this was not stuff he would have been involved in he he wouldn't have been involved in layout of anything. So um, he, it just could just be data. He may be yeah. thinking of it press layout as in um, uh, uh, like, cause I, it may be 18 long. I don't know that it's, I don't remember the, the, this size. Oh, you can't see me. Sorry. But it's basically the size of a, uh, a two by three mold. Mm -hmm. And then, and then how many of the two by three molds fit on a sheet? I, I, I couldn't tell you. And then it's yeah. I will state that it's twice as long. Mm -hmm. So it was really a sheet would have been one, two, three, four, five, six cards wide, I think. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah, all the uncut sheets I've seen so far are like three wide, but then the like the height or the length varies. Yeah, but you'll note you'll note on this sheet here, there's like the left ed Edgeen has that white bar on the on the uh on both of them. On one it's on the right side, on the other one it's the left side. Yeah. Uh, and then on the green one, it's on the across the top. That's mm -hmm. the edge of the sheet. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, the, and, the, and because they gotta have the three. other side doesn't have that, that will lead you to know that there's another, probably another three. Like that, the, you know, I, I but I, I don't know that. I mean, I, I don't know that from a, uh, uh, like I know that. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally <laughs> um, get you. I, I, what I don't know is what that means in the sense of how many were across. Again, it was 100%. We had, we had people who did that. I didn't have yeah. to worry about that. I had to provide them, and yep. the art team had to let it out in the correct quadrant. And it shifted over time. Think as molds shifted, we should, you know. Um, but that could be right. It could be an 853 ratio. I don't remember if it was an 853 ratio or not. But Yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple contacts. I mean, so if that's the case, and there were, uh, I don't know how many booster packs in a, or how many packs in a box, let's 36. say 24. 36. 26? For, for most of 36. them, 36. Yeah, yeah so if at a 36, then you would have been able to get 25. But see, yeah, 25. Um, I got a couple contacts I'm going to ask yeah. about being on the podcast, too, that might know some more of the production details, so... Hopefully yeah, like you, you know Chad DeLong, he would, 
would have he would know the production on that oh really okay interesting yeah i was just that's he was, he, he was the yeah, one i was just talking about about that resurgence thing okay interesting yeah he's uh he's the he was a production manager he was trained under tina and stuff like that so yeah i don't remember if he worked on pirates or not but he would i mean that's that's what he does for a living so yeah makes sense okay awesome well that was an awesome segment thanks for those really fascinating answers all right that concludes this part of the interview with the amazing pirates game designer mike mulvihill I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, whether that's a comment on YouTube, follow-up questions in the thread at Pirates with Ben, or commentary on Discord or Facebook. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. There are links in the description for this episode where you can find some of the links and resources I used, and there's also an affiliate link to buy Pirate CSG items on eBay. Consider using that link as a way to support all my efforts to keep the game alive and hopefully even revive it as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.